Comedy Pods proudly presents Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to a bunch of the episodes. They're really good, but I'm also... I haven't come across anyone that's not an improv comedian or actor. I'm trying to think. I interviewed Jordan Rooney, who's a motivational speaker, life coach. He works for a group or founded a group called Never Fear Being Different. Okay. And so I saw him do a video where he went down to Charlottesville during the riots last year okay. when Heather Heyer was murdered yeah. um, and the white supremacists were on town. And so it was him like doing man on the street sort of interviews. But he had done a few videos that had minor success before that, but that got shared into a lot of circles and was um, pretty widely released. So when I brought him in, he's one of the very few like non-comedians that I got to do, non-musicians. Jeff Holt is the owner of Hambones, which okay. is a bar that hosts a lot of comedy stuff in the yeah. town. So a lot of people know him. He's kind of a mythical figure around yeah. here. So it was good to sit down with him. But then, yeah, other than that, it's been predominantly a lot of actors. You might be my first UD grad, too, another fellow flyer. Really? I, no, that, yeah. I haven't had a family member on yet, so you've got to be number one, Jeff, at least that I can think of. That's exciting. That's, that's really kind of, kind of interesting. I'm kind of surprised, though, too. I am, too, because I talk about Dayton almost, yeah. almost weekly. Yeah. That I haven't found a chance to bring in, you know, one of my roommates or one of my f former housemates, friends from along the way. But I do. I think that that is probably a good place to start my interview today for Garrett Teitelbaum. It's nice to see he's working. Jeff Swartz. Nope. Is that pronounced? Swartz. Swartz. Yep. No CH. CH. No CH. No CH. Swartz. Yep. Swartz. Mm -hmm. Jeff Swartz here on the podcast with me for It's Nice to See He's Working's episode 113. Very, very, very glad to be here. And we were just kind of talking about the fact that I don't know if I really belong. <laughs> well, as a former Dayton Flyer, we were introduced through Eddie Grahoviak, who yes. was in the same program as me, sports management. How did you and Eddie have your meeting story while you were on campus? Yeah, um, Eddie and I were in the same fraternity. We were in Sigma Pi Epsilon. He was a couple years um, behind me, and you know, honestly, we got along when we were in college and, and stuff uh, where we kind of overlapped a little bit and then lost touch. But about a year ago, I noticed he was doing some really great things with real estate and also sports management with basketball and stuff. So I just reached out to him because um, I have a, a client, or actually a couple clients that are in in real estate as well and just wanted to pick his brain and reconnect and stuff like that and kind of the nice things is, as you know with with uh being a ud grad it's just kind of got that culture in that community where it's like you can fall out of touch with somebody for 10 years and then pick up the phone and be like hey eddie what's going on and instantly he's like yeah what do you need what's going on like yeah how can i help that you're back on campus you want to help each other exactly do it's, whatever you need to do it's a really cool community so it's just kind of extension of that yeah absolutely and that was nice to be able to uh to extend that to second generation friends or other people so it was good mm -hmm. to connect a few months ago when i was job hunting and to get to pick your brain a little bit when eddie knew that i was looking for a career change and so you've been the CEO and founder of Ethic Advertising Correct. here in Pittsburgh, founded yep. about four years ago. Yep, uh, be four years in September. And talk to me a little bit about the impetus to go out on your own and start your own marketing firm. Yeah, um, so it's, it's kind of a little bit different. And actually, it goes back to Dayton, um, where it really all started. So I knew that I wanted to 
Well, when I first got to Dayton, I knew I either wanted to be in, you know, a veterinarian or zoologist or in advertising. For whatever reason, those two things kind of stood out to me and everything. And um, after my first year, I realized, okay, I want to do advertising. That's, that's my thing. So at 19, I knew I wanted to start my own ad agency. And I also was aware that, you know, even after graduation, I didn't have any money. I didn't have the skill set. I didn't, you know, know enough to be successful with it, nor could I kind of fund it and everything. So I spent almost 10 years collecting the capital and, um, and the skill set through working with CBS television in Dallas and here in Pittsburgh. And then uh, in between that as a media buyer and planner at a mid-sized shop out of Dallas as well. Um, just kind of learning the skills and then building the revenue up too. And then when I got to Pittsburgh, I did a little bit of real estate investing as well on top of it to um, kind of get debt free, get the capital to launch the company. And really I launched it you know, a- after the culmination of just 10 years of, of working towards it. And I almost didn't. Um, because I was doing well. I was at CBS. I was, you know, happy. Um, was, you can make a lot of money making somebody else rich if you want to. Exactly. Um, and it was, it was kind of risky um, at the time, too. So now my, my wife and mother of my, my children um, at the time was my girlfriend. And I knew I was going to propose next month. And I kind of was at this crossroads at 29. And I just realized if I don't do it now, I might not ever do it. And I've been working for 10 years to get there. And... And I decided to take the leap. And in all honesty, in the first two months, I made my, my goals for the year. And, and I really haven't looked back. How, how much of that 10 years of work is the contributing factor to what a lot of people would look at as an overnight success when you come in and have those two great months set yourself up for being able to deliver on uh, this new endeavor, especially when after month in, you're proposing to the love of your life? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I don't think that I would still have an ad agency today, and I don't think that I'd have my employees or, or be as successful as I am, which, you know, it's all, it's all relative. I can pay my bills. I, you know, I don't go hungry. I can support some other people and stuff yeah. like that. So it's, you know, I'm not, I'm not a millionaire by, by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination, but, you know, to me, I'm doing what I love, which equals success. Um, but I wouldn't be doing that if I didn't take the time to hone my skills and to um, do it, launch it really my way. I, I never took a loan. Um, I've always been in the black. I've, when I first launched, I got really close to not being in the black. But, um, you know, I, I, I took a, a risk, but I did a lot of pre-planning that allowed me to, to have success with it, not only at the beginning, but also long term by just kind of doing things in 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 how I would see it as the right way to do business, just treating people really good, doing good quality work, being ethical in everything that I do, and working really, really hard, and just taking a lot of what I've learned over the years and applying it to that, um, and just really busting my ass to, to do what needs to be done. Well, in order to put yourself in those positions, you have to really vet the types of businesses that you want to work with, because not everybody that we interact with in the world operates in an ethical sense. And no, so that's... to make that the cornerstone of your business, you're cutting yourself off for uh, what would be a large chunk of how some people manage the way that they want to do business. Yeah, um, absolutely. And I've, I've definitely said no to potential clients for a variety of reasons. Um, that tends to be one of the lesser reasons why I say say no. Sure. Simply because it's not often visible 
at the forefront. Sometimes you can catch on and be like, yeah, this is kind of shady or uh, maybe it's not an industry that I want to be really aligned with, that kind of thing. So you can kind of nip it in the bud. Um, but, you know, I've gotten very lucky and, I'm, and I feel like I can read people fairly well to the point where if I have that conversation, I can look at somebody in the eyes and if their heart's in the right place and they're doing things the right way, I, I can try to, you know, connect with that and, and tell that fairly early on. Um, but yeah, we try to be a little bit picky, but at the same time, it's, it's tough being a, a younger company because you can't say no to everybody because then you'll just be sitting around saying no, not doing anything. And then the next thing you know, you're shutting your doors in a month. Right. It's a, a good problem to have when you're at a point where you can turn down business, but certainly, um, going out and developing a good book of clients, especially in those first couple months helps to be able to be choosy in what you get to do moving forward and yeah. what verticals you get aligned in. Oh yeah, absolutely. And we, and we're, we're actually at that kind of point where I can say no to some people, but it's that transition period. Um, you know, we've created a bit of a, a reputation for ourselves, I feel. And I think that, um, you know, how we partner with our clients and, and how we go above and beyond and, and really kind of, um, go that extra mile and, and develop some of the things that we have and, and the way that we're operating very leanly and cost effectively and uh, able to come up with new ideas and implement them on a dime. Um, and I, I just I just think that us being kind of lean and mean and cutting edge and doing some of these things allows us to, that flexibility. So our reputation is there to the point where I can't say no to some people, and I, I have to say yes to other people too. But really right now, actually, like for example, we're saying no to a lot of people that have the smaller budgets because we're just, we can't help everybody and we have to justify our, our talent level and, and our... Well, the amount abilities. of work doesn't change just because the client is paying X amount. You still need to be able to deliver. Obviously, there are different packages and different things that you can put together depending on somebody's budget. But as far as man hours go and, and your staff, you need to worry about that. That's 100% right. I mean, we were spending more time sometimes on a client that was maybe investing $12,000 a year through us that I would take on at the beginning um, as we were uh, someone uh, like Greenbrier Treatment Center who's you know spending you know significantly more money than that or some of our other larger clients that are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars a year. When you look to expand your team and build out the people that you bring in. Obviously, like you mentioned, you want to be able to uh, put people in positions where they can succeed and, and build out a group of people that are able to deliver for the clients that Ethic Advertising is taking on. Um, how do you look to expand your network of people as you build your team out? So it's, it's kind of interesting because I have I'm, I'm managing up to 15 people at any given time because I do have a lot of freelancers um, that I consistently work with and, um, and uh, partners that I work with, mainly on the creative side. But for my individual team, there's, there's um, three very talented uh, people that, that I work with. And really, I hired the first one a little over a year ago, um, probably about a year and, and three months. And with that, I was I put out, you know, Indeed and Craigslist and all those kind of things, and I went through the, the whole hiring process. But the other two kind of fell into place. So uh, Lindsay, our one of our digital experts, and her forte is really good in like social media and CRM that kind of thing. 
uh, I had worked with her because she's a professional actress as well. And I had worked with her when I was at CBS because uh, she was at the station doing stuff. So I knew her. And then I just happened to see on LinkedIn that she, you know, was moving back to Pittsburgh from Arizona and everything. And we had a conversation and, and it, you know, ended up working out to, to having the right time. And then my assistant, Jess, uh, who's also just blown me away with her um, drive and abilities, and she's, she just turned 21 years old. She's going to be a senior <clears throat> at RMU and everything. She's actually the sister-in-law to my first hire, Miranda, who's also been a rock star. Oh, perfect. So I, I've really kind of fallen into it. But again, it's, it's, making, it's checking out what they've done with their lives, you know, I don't put a lot of emphasis on the education aspect of it. Sure. It's, it's what are you doing? What are you motivated? And then more importantly, sometimes what are you passionate about? What do you want to do and what do you want to accomplish in, you know, a year, five years, 10 years. And if it matches up with what I have a need for where you're doing what you want to do in 10 years and it happens to be at ethic advertising, then let's grow and let's develop that. I might need you to do a couple of things along the way to get there, but um, Nobody really gets to do exactly focus. what they want 100% of the time, but if you can make that the focus of their career or giving it them at least the skill set or the nearby skill sets, uh, it certainly is a benefit to both of you. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I try to, and I want everybody that I work with um, to enjoy what they're doing and, and really be passionate about that. And you can't teach that sometimes. No, and, and so much of your life is work and people don't realize that when they pick a university or when they pick a, you know, what degree program they went into, um, what was your kind of thought process like when you were selecting a college like the university of Dayton? Cause I know uh, something I keep hearing you come back to is being money conscience and being somebody, and it's not a cheap education. It was something I'm very lucky that my father's a professor there who taught Eddie and myself. Uh, but his joke was always, it was you do or you pay. Mm. Um, because the tuition was such a big piece of, of why I think he went into academia, uh, was to be able to take care of his kids in that way and to be able to put, provide for them through an education. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of interesting because you have two parts to, to that question. One is, um, why did I pick UD? And in all, in all honesty, I, was, I knew um, a guy, I had a friend from high school who had gone there the year before uh, who was one year older than me. And I um, had him show me around when I was looking at campus and everything. And it just felt right. Uh, it, you know, I, I, I toured a bunch of different colleges and I was actually thinking about travel. You know, I grew up in Youngstown, Ohio. I wanted to get out of Youngstown. Yeah. And I was thinking about going to like Texas and UCLA and stuff like that. And Dayton just had that, that right feeling. They had a lot of different things to offer. And for me, it just felt right. And, and I decided, okay, this is, this is the college for me. And then the, the financial side of things is actually kind of interesting. So when I was there, Dayton freshman year, I think with room and board was $28,000 a year. And then four years later, when I graduated, it was $38,000 a year. It went up $10,000 in four years. Wow. Yeah. It was was a big, big spike. But my most expensive year was my freshman year. And I had a full ride to the point where one of my scholarships paid me $300 my senior year. Wow. And part of that, it's kind of interesting. So I'm... um, I've had an IEP since like the fourth grade to where I've uh, basically dyslexia, not severe or anything like that. So I got money for, um, for, for that aspect of it, which was really nice. But then at the same time, I also got special achievements and academic awards uh, that I would go back. And every year I went back to my financial advisor, Don Vince at University of Dayton, 
And um, I haven't thought about that name in it's it's that's yeah. a that's a throwback. Yeah, and the thing is, Don like, Vince, there's only like two absolutely, ad, you know, advisors there because it's not a huge school. But Don goes out of his way to get to know the freshmen. Don goes out of his way to make sure that you're comfortable when you get on campus. He's one of um, you know a handful of names that you could throw out there mm-hmm. that I think like very similarly to me right now, any Dayton person would have a smile and a reaction to. Yeah, no, absolutely, and he was a, a huge help and just honestly just me showing up and saying hey what can I do next because it seems like freshman year everybody's at the you know financial advisors trying to figure out what they can do and everything they get you know yeah they get their loans and they get their scholarships and stuff like that and then they never go back I went back every semester trying to how can I maximize this system to my benefit yeah and I'm obviously not an engineer but I think I even got an engineering scholarship one year because <laughs> I applied for it and no one else did Wow. So um, for me, I was able to graduate without any loans from from Dayton, uh, which was a huge help. And and especially with the, such expensive school, I know I know people that graduated with six figures of debt. from undergrad alone, which yeah. is shocking to I think a lot of people to hear when they go University of Dayton, um, because I think just the name a lot of people don't necessarily know that it's a private school. Mm-hmm. They don't know kind of the academic reputation that it has in that region. Um, it's it's such a cool place to have come from, but I do think you're right. Most students are not utilizing what the school has. Uh, the semester I got to do at Chaminade is a prime example. Mm. They can take like 30 kids a semester, and we had maybe 12, and I think the next semester was three, and I know of a few other groups it's less than 10. But if this school and the students did a better job of, I think, wanting to get off campus and see that there is a world, mm. then going to Hawaii is the easiest sell possible to an 18 to 22 year old kid. Yeah. And that's actually the Hawaii thing for a semester was one of the things that I really wish that I would have done. Um, but I did uh, summer in Italy in Florence. So I mean, you I got your term then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that was the summer between junior and senior year. No, sophomore and junior actually. Um, and then I started getting into my minors and my majors and stuff. And, um, you know, I'm kind of kicking myself, but the only reason why I got to go to um, Italy was because I got, you know, I went went and found funding. Sure. I originally, I, they actually had reopened the deadline for me because I think I went the day after, and I was like, hey, I actually got a scholarship. I can actually go now. I can afford it, that kind of thing. <laughs> and and then, um, you know, they, they opened it up for me because I, you know, I think I... I, I on a little ask nicely yeah, well I asked and, nicely and I was kind of begging to yeah. a little bit like because <laughs> I, I was working really hard to try to to get the funds to go and I'm there. sure this wasn't the first time you showed up they had seen youth for weeks trying to manage how to get the money to be able to do it exactly so they were aware that I was working on and everything and um and stuff so they opened up a spot for me and I was able to go and it's it's a fantastic experience actually anybody that's in college if you have an opportunity to study abroad it's a great way to see the world in a controlled environment. Yeah. Because um, I've been back to Europe two other times. Uh, and the experience that I had going with professors that would actually teach me what I'm, you know, and, and kind of take me to different places. I got experiences and I got knowledge that I have not even remotely come close to the other two times that I've gone over there. Yeah, we certainly, as adults, are probably much more inclined to be okay without uh, all the museums or all of the uh, educational aspects of travel that you still get when you're part of a program, at least. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I like doing those things, but it's fun. Like, if you're in, you know, 
in these foreign countries, a lot of times you're like, well, I, you know, I can't read the, the, the placard. I don't, I don't, you know, there's, there's things that you can do to try to like figure out like, Hey, what is, what am I looking at? What is this fresco? Sure. Is, you know, um, what are these tapestries, tapestries or, or statues or anything like that? Um, but it's just so much easier to stand there and have, you know, one of my professors say, well, this is the history about it. this is all it is. So instead of getting like a little bit, a tidbit of information while going out there on your own, it's, it's so much better to have somebody who goes there year after year and really understands what's going on. But I think that's always a, a fantastic experience for, for any student that's out there. When you were in Youngstown, Ohio, do you, do most people identify as near Cleveland or near Pittsburgh or are you, you're kind of in a no man's land versus Dayton where I could easily tell people I'm from the Cincinnati area? Yeah. Um, it's it is definitely split in the middle. I, I even remember a furniture store um, doing a promo where you would put your ballot in for are you a Browns fan or are you a Steelers fan? And then whoever would win the game, they would pick from there and that wouldn't like a couch or something. Okay. So it, it's really split. Well, growing up is really split 50 50. I think that like for like football wise, Steelers are kind of taking over Become more. because Browns haven't been competitive and everything. But I mean, you go there and everybody's a Cavs fan. Of course. So for me growing up, I would go, I remember going to Three River Stadium and watching the Pirates, but I actually went to more Indians games. Sure. And, and everything. And, you know, it's, I would always explain to people it was an hour and a half to get to the Pittsburgh airport. It was like an hour and 15 minutes to get to Cleveland airport. Um, so you're really caught in the middle and it, it's interesting for like sports rivalries because some people get heated about it and upset. Other people are like, yeah, you know what? I run into opposite fans all the time, that kind of thing. Um, but it's really kind of anomaly. Was there much of a um, reverence for the university? Obviously, Jim Tressel came from there and he was very popular when we were growing up in, in the Ohio area. Yeah. Um, so I actually, his stepson was a year older than me. Okay. Um, and Jim Trussell has done a lot for that, that area and everything. Um, but the other thing that I didn't never really kind of touched on either, um, because when I was really little, I lived in Michigan and I have some, uh, family that's still up there and, um, I have family all over the place. I've moved around actually a lot, but um, I'm kind of the same where I've got family in enough States that I can have enough a conversation about most states that Dayton folk like from our college would have been from. Exactly. So, like, and, oh, I can talk Chicago. I can talk upstate New York. I can talk St. Louis. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I can kind of, you know, do a lot of those same ones too. And it's, it's, it's nice, but it also means that I don't really like to take sides on stuff. So I'm not like, you know, I'm not going to take sides on Ohio state, Michigan. Sure. Um, I'm going to lean more towards Ohio state cause I'm from Ohio. My, I have a lot of family in Columbus and everything, but I'm not gonna, I'm not going to commit to one or the other. Um, and actually for a while, because I moved to Youngstown, I was six. I mean, okay. for a while I didn't pick sides either. Actually, I ended up picking sides because when I was in high school, I, you know, my girlfriend at the time was a Steelers fan and that's when, when it solidified for me. So I had more of a Pittsburgh kind of draw. I, yeah, it was easy. I moved to Ohio in the fourth grade and it was, I wasn't from there. They weren't my teams. It's very much like they're fine. I pick teams from like players I liked. I remember rooting for the Spurs because I like Tim Duncan. The Mets won the series in 86, so I picked them. Um, you know, it was easy to find reasons not to root for the Bengals and Ohio State for me. Meeting and being around, especially at Dayton, yeah. when you're like all of these sports fans are so passionate about their team. 
And it was like, I like what Notre Dame. My dad's friend played there. We go to a game every couple years. That's enough for me. Mm. I just enjoy watching it. And now as an adult, I think it's surprising to people from Ohio how little Saturday football affects me anymore, Mm. that it's not like a major thing. And even Sunday football is no longer like a schedule dictator if life is, is more important. But I think that's probably being in your 30s and not in your 20s. I would agree with that because I was a, I was a big Steelers fan in, in college, um, and part of it was the solidification of the fact that we would get picked on all the time, mm-hmm. being that close to Cincinnati, um, and having to go past like Cleveland area and everything. And growing up in, like I said, in Youngstown, it really wasn't the rivalry was there, but it wasn't that heated. So I'm used to be more of a friendly rivalry with my experience, but it was it was kind of nasty. So I had to like almost you know step up that kind of thing yeah but afterwards you know just getting older experiencing life there's so many more things that are important i mean sports has become so much less important for me um and i hold things in in much higher priorities uh that i actually have control over that i can actually get enjoyment out of by interacting uh with my kids have a direct impact on, yeah. Exactly, having a good conversation or putting my, you know, passion into into work. Or I do, um, like I said, I did some real estate stuff, so I really like to work with my hands, especially because I use my brain, you know, for the most part all day at work. You know, like this weekend, I went and I built my deck. And that nice. Kind of thing. So I like I like things that I can actually participate in um, actively more than just kind of a spectator. Getting involved in in real estate is something that I think is interesting, and obviously how you and Eddie kind of reconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, one th- one side that people don't always think about is that you have to, as a person who rents properties and deals with that, you have to go into people's homes and see what it's like. I've done traveling sales before. Um, how is it managing adults uh, in their housing spaces? Is there is there any major headaches that come from that, or do you enjoy the rental properties more than flipping houses, or have you tried some of both? Um, I've done both. I like flipping more um, because they're – so I, I don't – like I have two duplexes on Mount Washington, um, and I renovated all four units. Um, I lived in two of the four units. Uh, you know, I bought the first one, lived in it, fixed it up. Bought the second one, lived in it, fixed it up, that kind of thing. So my philosophy with that is if if I create a space that I want to live in and if I provide a service that is above an experience that someone else will get and give them, you know, amenities that, you know, other people don't won't provide, then you know, I'm going to get the same kind of treatment in return. Yeah. So I don't run into that many problems because I do, you know, I rent to really good people. They tend to be a lot of young professionals that are very responsible and, and I try to treat them very, very well. So in January though, I, I moved out to the suburbs, you know, thinking of school systems and stuff like that. Cause I got a almost two year old and, and a one month old. Um, yeah, you're a few years away, but it's time to put yourself in position. So it's not an issue then. Exactly. So I sold, um, a fire damage property that I had, uh, re- restored and I used that money and we bought our family home. So now I'm in a new kind of experience and I'm kind of feeling out to where, okay, I'm not in the building or right next door to the building. Cause the properties are next to each other. I actually have to, if I need to go out there, drive 25 minutes and, and kind of, you know, do that kind of thing. So I hired a lawn service to make sure that's maintained and that they can keep an eye on some things. I have a backup um, 
property management company that keeps eye on things. So I'm trying to put things in place, but I'm still learning. Yeah. Uh, especially, you know, and I, and it's constant education too. So I joined organizations. I read books. I, I watched videos. I, I invested into trying to learn that business, even though that wasn't my, my main business because advertising is, but I try to educate myself enough to make sure that, that I'm doing it the right way and I'm doing it the way that I would want to do it. Well, and it's such a better way to go about things is being a student even after. I know you, you were very reflective on those 10 years that you worked in television um, and were on that side of the relationship. What's it been like now as somebody who's on the other side of the advertising end of things looking to place TV ads? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I definitely I spent like six, seven years, I would say, at CBS television. Uh, off and on, but in the middle of that, I spent about a year and a half as a media buyer and planner, so I was on the other side already. So I had some exposure and some experience in that. Um, so I, I was already kind of used to it, but I always had, I always worked for, you know, a company that had other supporting, you know, characters. So I, when I launched my company, it was just me. Yeah, it's for like the first three years you were running solo. Yeah, absolutely. So I was doing everything and i in when it comes to advertising i'm a huge believer even though my predominant background is in the placement of advertising so deciding you know where things are going to place negotiating the buys of you know what a you know commercial spot on you know the 6 p.m news or a big bang theory is going to cost or you know a billboard or anything like that um but i'm a huge believer that you have to have the creative aspect too and what i always say is if you're reaching the right audience with a crap message, it's not going to work. Right. But if you're, you have a great message, but you're not reaching the right audience, it's also not going to work. So that's always been in my belief system. And actually at Dayton, my, my main focus was video and audio production. So I started out as a creative and realized that there wasn't as much money until you got to a certain level. Sure. So I wanted to learn the business side of things and then blend them together. Um, but I, I really believe that having those two things in harmony is is important so it meant that i had to double the work i was art director i was media buyer media planner salesperson hr accounting and i still hold a lot of those roles but now I've, I've kind of developed a little bit more of a well like you said if, if you can utilize freelance people and you're still the creative pushing them in whatever direction it is that you want them to go with the projects you still get to impact it whether or not you're delivering on the the building of those assets, whatever they are. Oh, absolutely. And I love working with, so even though my, I started out with like video editing and stuff like that, I can't edit anymore. I mean, I can do some basic stuff and everything, but I love finding people and working with people that are so much more talented than me in certain areas Sure. to where I can just use what their, their talent is and use, you know, their experiences and their knowledge base and their passion and um and say cool let's let's do this together these are my ideas these are my thoughts but also listen because my ideas and thoughts you know they're going to be geared towards the advertising and selling and creative with that kind of thing but it's it might not always be the best one and i'm totally open to hearing that and a lot of times creators will be like well did you ever think about this you ever you know what about that and i love doing that collaboration as a you know as opposed to just saying hey create this for me do it you know let me know when it's done um, so finding talented people in their space yeah. is, is one of the things that I, I just adore because it's, it's really invaluable. Well, to be able to have a collaborative discussion is always going to 
get you to a better idea than you could probably have on your own. And I think there are far, in, in at least in the creative world, maybe not as much in the marketing side, uh, there are far too many people who they're like, no, this is my idea, and they're protective of it, versus being willing to hear what's good about it, hear what's bad about it, and hear how we can most benefit from it, whatever it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, by all means, I'm happy if, you know, to have anybody call my baby ugly. I mean, especially when I'm, I'm you know, the ideas and the projects that I'm working on are... So we specialize in, in, in clients that have about six or, you know, ideally seven figure advertising budget, but we're really, we're in the six figure range annually. So we're talking about dealing with, with people that are taking a large chunk of their money and investing it into generating more revenue for them or getting brand exposure and all these different things. So it, if we mess up, it could be devastating for a family company. It can yeah. be devastating for, you know, a lot of our, our clients because of their size. So we have to do the best that we can to, to get it right. With a lot of the businesses at that size, are they usually pretty firm in what they want or are they more willing to or looking for you to drive the ship as far as what the vision is? Um, you get a mix of both. And a lot of times it takes about a 12-month cycle to have a client really get comfortable with who we are and really believe um, that we're doing this for them and for the right reasons. Because there's a lot of mediocrity in advertising. Uh, there's a lot of people that just think that it's sleek and sexy and they, they want to do it and they want to, you know, have the, the glitz and glitz, the um, Mad Men. You know, they, Everybody wants they, to be Don Draper, sure. Exactly. They look like they're having fun drinking cocktails. Exactly. When in reality, it, you know, if you're going to do it right, that's that's not always what it is. Sometimes Peggy's doing all the work, not getting any of the credit until the later seasons. Yep. I love. Did you watch it? Um, actually, I saw the first season, and I was like, "It's the, that's not the industry." Anymore. Well, it's depressing. Yeah. And if I don't tell people to watch it unless you want to watch a show about people at work. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> and and that's kind of what it was. It's like it was like that's like my work, so it's kind of like, eh, but it's also not the, any of the fun stuff or any of that kind of thing. So, and granted, I've, and I need to rewatch it because it's been a while. Um, I, I what hooked me was the time period. I'm such a fan of like the 60s and then the early 70s mm -hmm. that it was kind of cool to get to see how they incorporated the real time events uh, into the story of the show. Yeah. And, and I think maybe what it was is during the I, I watched it earlier on when it was coming out. Sure. Um, and I entered the market in 2007 and I, I actually had a job um, with a startup out of Silicon Valley called Cellfire that did coupons on your cell phone back when it was like the flip razor and the iPhone 3 might have been out um, and everything. And three months in, we oversold the program. I couldn't take it anymore um, because we were focusing on local sales. And like, we got to flip our script because there's just not enough computing power in these phones. So I, I lost my job after I moved to Texas. They gave me a nice severance package. I kind of retired for a month nice. by the pool. It was great. And then I ended up <laughs> landing a job at, at CBS. Two months into that, we get called into the conference room. And they say, hey, you know, look, look around. There's some people that aren't here anymore because we had to do layoffs. And within a, what, six-month time period, I, you know, was laid off at one company. I went, I saw around a layoff at another. I was like, it's depressing. And everybody was scared of their job because people weren't spending money on advertising because they were trying to save it, which is historically the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah, you came out just ahead of the crash, and then I got out in 09 right after it. Had, yeah. They were like, no, we don't need anybody with a fresh degree. Come get some unpaid internships for you. Exactly. It was, it was a very difficult, difficult time. Um, 
to, to graduate and get started. And it's still really, you know, that mentality still has, hasn't gone away. I think a lot of young people are still facing the fact you graduated. Oh no, no, you need, you know, two to five years of experience before you're anything. Well, you know, why wasn't in college? That kind of thing. Right. Um, but you know, I think that's when I was watching Mad Men. So I think that I had like a sour taste in my mouth because it was, you go in, you do four people's worth of work, you know, worth of work because everybody else got canned. Um, and you stay late and you work hard and there was, you know, not as much fun that was going on. Yeah. So isn't that transition period? So I want to give another, another shot. Sure. Um, would you ever look to go back to Texas or any of the other markets you've gotten to spend time in? To move or to Yeah. Um, at this point you've got the two kids. You're pretty much stationed here. I married a Pittsburgher. I got the two kids. I love this part of the country. (laughs) So I was in Texas. I was in Dallas for about four years. And I really enjoyed my experience. My one regret is I didn't ride a real bull. Um, but every, other than that, I did everything else. Yeah. So I was down there from like 22 to 26. It was a good time. Um, but I, I love this part of the country. It matches my personality. I, I, you know, I like the, um, the residual blue collar like nature and that border between the Midwest and the East Coast yeah. kind of thing. It's just, it, it's... It's really become my my town over the last, I guess, seven years or so. Sure. Um, and everything. But, you know, the, actually the ultimate game plan is to become a, a snowbird at some point. So I want to stay here, but I also, I mean, I moved to Texas, and I was getting out of the north. The goal was no snow. Oh, God, I can't stand the winter. Yeah. So That's why know, I actually, did Baltimore after college. I was like, let me get at least away from it. Yeah, and, and I appreciate it. You know, like now a little bit around the holidays a bit, but... Shoot, after... When it's know, March, April. When it's January, I'm yeah. like, I'm done. <laughs> Tapped out. Oh, yeah. No, yeah, no, I can't take it. So I do want to get back, to, you know, uh, back to the South, but on like a part-time basis, like closer to retirement. But other than that, I mean, I really can't think of a better town that fits me. With um, with a one-month-old daughter, or a son now, and then a two-year-old daughter, um, what's it been like second time around parenting? Much different? They say kids are always, you know, unique into themselves. Yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's definitely different. Um, and, and it's interesting because a lot of, uh, you know, parents, when we were going to have the first one, gave advice. And then with the second one, they're like, oh, it's going to be different. You know, it's going to be um, a whole, whole different game. And it, and it really is. And a lot of people know what they're talking about. But really, the, the, it's different in a way, but it's, it's not. We're kind of like, you know, still in a group, but it's still early on. You know, yeah. my wife is still off work. She's a teacher. So she's going to be off work the whole summer. And then when she goes back, it's going to be another change kind of thing. But it's, it's, it's just like life. It's just a big moment in life. It's always changing. It's always evolving. You can get into your routine and then just, you got to be flexible to get out of your routine too. too. And, um, and it's tough because you're not the one who always dictates what's, you know, the priority for the minute or the day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and personality wise, my daughter is batshit crazy. (laughs) She's, (laughs) I mean, she's just, she's an awesome, awesome little girl. And, um, and everything, but she is just wild as all get out. And obviously my son's only two or only one month old right now, but he's chill. 
I mean, he's upset if he if he has a, a messy diaper or he's hungry and everything, and his stomach's been hurting a little bit right now. But other than that, he is he's pretty laid back the, kid. Oh god, he's so chill. Which I'm glad because I hear I hear if you have two, you oftentimes you have opposites. And I was like, oh man, please, because I can't take another Quinn. Sure. <laughs> um, and everything. And even though like I love her to death and and everything, but. Uh, me and my wife both get so excited come like 7.30, which is her bedtime. Yeah. Um, just just because it's, we get that little bit of a break. But, you know, as soon as we wake up, I'm like, okay, is, is Quinn up? Can, like, I want to go see her <laughs> kind of thing. So it's, uh, it's, just, it's just a blast. And, you know, and, and in this day and age, you know, sometimes, you know parenting isn't, isn't for everybody. And there's so many different family dynamics and everything. But, you know, speaking from my expo- own experience, I really don't think there's anything else in my life that I've experienced that I get greater joy from than than being a dad. I bet. As somebody, that's always kind of been in the back of my mind as one of those goals. In comedy, I don't know that it's the priority for a lot of the people that are drawn to what I do. I'm lucky that I get to date somebody who does what I do um, so we can have those conversations as we get older. But she certainly... And I certainly uh, have had those conversations. She's moving in now. So this is my first time living with a woman. So any advice for me as I start to cohabitate and live in sin as the nuns would have told me at Dayton or the the brothers? Yeah. um, Not really. I mean, just it's going to be a different dynamic. It's going to be very, I mean, my wife's the only woman that I ever lived with as well. Sure. And, and we did the same thing. We lived in sin. Oh my goodness. Uh, she, she moved in. Um, honestly, she moved in around the same time I launched the company and then we got engaged like a month later, that kind of thing. So all happening kind of at, at once. Um, but really kind of my, my main tidbit of advice with that is, you know, just mutual respect, you know, respect kind of her space and, and, and kind of just get, a get a good feel and a good routine kind of going and, and be teammates with it. So, I mean, like divvy up chores and like be supportive of, you know, you know, of different things. Because right now when you're living apart, you're supportive of like, Hey, your career, your feelings and stuff like that. But honestly be supportive of like, Hey, I got the trash, you know, I'll take it out. I'll take on this responsibility. Take on what you can and a little more and And make sure everybody's contributing. Exactly. And maybe have a conversation be like, like, I love to cook. My wife hates to cook. She'd much rather do dishes. We had a conversation early on and, you know, that's one of those things where I'm like, okay, I mean, I, I know that I get to cook and everything and I might j- just get home and stuff and it's, it's no big deal. And, but I also know that she get, does the dishes and, and I hated doing the dishes. So, you know, just having a conversation about, Hey, what do you like to do? What, you know, this is what I like to do because when it comes to chores, usually there's something, hopefully there's something. You can, that, hopefully we all find a thing that we're okay at or willing to make a game out of, as my father would say. Yeah, no, that's, that's a great way to look <laughs> at it too. So, um, you know, just mutual respect and, and also like being teammates when it comes to keeping up the homestead. Yeah. I think that's all good advice. Uh, the one question that we've talked about on this podcast for the last few weeks is what can we do better to try and improve the human experience here on the planet? And you can go as big or as small as you'd like to. Yeah. Um, so I've been listening to your podcast for a few months now and everything. I knew this question was coming and I, I bounced around between a bunch of different ones that I wanted to, to maybe make a statement on. But one of the things that, that I find, because I, 
I do tend to work a lot because I do tend to put myself in situations where I'm enjoying what I do. Good. Um, a good I, problem to have. Exactly. But at the same time, work, at least to me, isn't everything in life. It's not the, even the most important thing in life. So my advice is to really take time to realize I need to slam on the brakes. Not take a, not take a break, but slam on the brakes and take some time out to do what's really important. Um, and the example that I want to use is, is last week, um, I had to put down my dog who was 16 and a half. I got him when I was 16 and a half. Wow. He's been my, he was my half best your life. friend. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I had him for half my life. And if you think about it, that's, it's a little non-traditional to have a dog at that age. So, you know, I graduated high school. I graduated college. I moved across country with him, went through breakups and, and, you know, all these different major things. He, you know, he was there when I got married, when I had kids and everything. You said you were considering being a vet at one point too. Yeah. I worked at a veterinary clinic all throughout high school and, and in the summer in college too. Like I, I love animals yeah. and I really love my dog Tucker, um, and everything. And, and I look back at it and for honestly five days I cried. I look back at it, and I remember specifically taking time throughout the, the entirety of his life to just stop and spend time with him. Not just like the last day of his life, but saying, listen, I want to make a memory with, with my dog. And I do that now with my, my kids. I, I, I try to do that with my wife, and I try to do that with friends, and just take moments and just realize I need to, to stop what I'm doing with the rat race and just realize what am I missing right now that's re that I'm really going to look back and say, I'm glad I did that. Um, so my advice really is just take moments to slam on the brakes of doing what's honestly really not all that important. Yeah. And focus on what is. I think that's such a good answer and well thought out. So I appreciate that you've not only been listening to the podcast since we first got to meet for lunch a few months ago, uh, but you put some thought into, yeah, and, and into that, what we've been doing here on the show. And that philosophy, I think, only really works if you're um, putting everything you got into work while you're, while you're your time. Of course. So really focus on the time that you have at that certain place and everything. If you're at home and you're supposed to be with family, then don't think about work. If you're with friends, don't you know, focus on that kind of thing. Um, but if you are, are really ambitious and really getting into what, what you love and what you do, um, you know, 99.9% .9 of what people do for a living isn't the most important thing in their lives, but oftentimes they forget that. So, and if you ever start feeling that, that you're, you're missing that, take a break. Yeah. It's okay to take a break. And focus on what really and not beat yourself up for it either. Exactly. Because we're so hard on ourselves in those moments where you're like, well, this is a good use of my time, but I could be doing X, Y, Z. Yeah. Because you're not even present at that point. Exactly. And if, you, and if you're really working that hard at your career or being a comedian or an actor or, um, you know, a nine to five or anything like that, um, and you're doing that much work towards it, Guess what? You can, you can afford to take a little bit of a break. It's still going to be there. You, did, yeah. you laid a good foundation um, to where it's almost like if you're riding a bike and you were pedaling really, really fast, you can lift your legs up and the pedals are going to keep going. You're gonna it's okay gliding. to coast for a exactly. half a block. You and know? then you know, put your, bike, your feet back on the pedals and keep going. What do you do with so much on your plate with a, you know, a business and property and fatherhood and I'm sure a number of other things being a husband being a man being a business owner how do you balance 
being able to just keep an effective schedule uh, and still make time for yourself. Make sure that you're able to get done the things that you need to get done to feel like you're still a part of yourself. Yeah. Um, so there's only so much time in a day. So I, I love Google Calendar. <laughs> it's one of my biggest things. Um, so I really schedule out a lot of different stuff. And, and ever since college, I would even like plan out my weeks and um, and try to really optimize my time. Um, so optimization of time is, is huge for me. But the other thing is, is I do a lot, but I'm not doing everything that I, I want to be doing. Yeah. Um, so I got to realize, okay, I might put that off, but it's, at some point I got to get to that. And then I'll make those priorities and I'll kind of shift some things. I feel very blessed because I, I do enjoy advertising. I do enjoy the real estate side of things. Um, and and I'm I'm making money doing things that that I care about. Yeah. So it's it's kind of blending those two things together. And whenever you can kind of blend something together, that that helps out a lot. But um, scheduling, optimizing time, and making sure that you're monetizing things that you're passionate about. Absolutely. It's huge. Yeah. Doing the podcast is fun. Finding ways to become profitably funny using the podcast to get people to come to shows, getting people to come out and support when I go on tour, see the pilots, see the movie that I've done, go out and invest in the overall picture, which is the career of Garrett Teitelbaum and whoever the guest is that he sits down each week. And that's why I always try to strive to find an event or something that we can time out a release with or at least look to expand to different verticals of types of people that I can bring onto the show. So now that we're nearing the end, do you feel a little bit more comfortable with being part of the show's history now? Uh, yeah, I guess there are some times. I mean, and, and listen to it, and, and my concern was is that, you know, uh, you know, one of the things I actually have always wanted to do is the open mic night and everything, and write some, yeah. some stuff. But I gotta find the time to write some stuff down. So, you know, that'll be on my on my list of things to do. I, honestly, with two young kids, I don't even go out. But um, yeah, because the shows, I mean, it focuses on comedians and improv and actors and and kind of the world that you're in. But what I what I also realized through through talking today, but also listening to it, it's it's about it's really a lot about the courage. The underlying like theme of, of your show, I really feel, is being able to remove that safety net and do what you're passionate about and do what you love. Because the only way that you're gonna be a comedian or the only way that you're gonna be an actor or the only way that you're gonna be in any kind of show business industry is if, that, is if you actually love it and care about it because it's yeah. tough. You have to enjoy it. Um, but at the same time, a lot of people you have on here, at one point or another, they remove the safety net of a job, which is also a leash that kind of holds you back too. Yeah. And it's really no different than any other industry if you want to be one of the top performing people and you want to be um, monetizing what you're really passionate about. Yeah, no matter what, you have to at some point be willing to say, I'm a comedian, I'm an actor, I'm a blank, I'm a business owner, I'm a CEO. If that's what you want to do, if that's where you want your thing to grow, you have to yeah, remove the other pieces that are taking your attention, taking your time, which we all get the same amount of, and switching your focus to where it can be. And obviously finding a way to monetize the stuff we're passionate about, I think has been 
difficult, but I feel like I'm finally getting to a place where I'm putting myself in position to work with people that I love, get to be around the art form that I enjoy and find ways to do it in new and exciting ways. Um, because sometimes I get stale. I don't write as much as I would like to, or I'm not focusing on the, the, what brought me into comedy in the first place, which is trying to entertain people and get to a point that I get to still do what I like doing every day, uh, which for so many people in their jobs is not how they get to live their lives. Um, are there any other podcasts or things that you've found through listening to this show or um, just podcasting in general that you enjoy about uh, this art form? Um, yeah, I mean, I mean it's, uh, it's kind of, it, I wouldn't be as surprised if it inspires me to kind of generate my own. I do vi- like educational videos sure. um, on social media for uh, my industry and everything, but um, there's some things that I wouldn't, I mean, that I might like in podcast form, but I actually, I mean, I'm supporting one of, or two of my friends that I grew up with that have a podcast now. I'm listening to them too. Nice. Um, it's, uh, do DIY, do just do it yourself. So in this day and age of really a lot of guys just don't, they don't, you know, don't pick up hammer. They don't, yeah. you know, they don't, they go out and buy everything. Um, it's just a, like a nice little, neat little podcast of like how to fry a turkey or what, you know, how to buy cryptocurrency or change your oil on your car and stuff like that. Um, but no, I mean, I'm in all honesty with over a hundred episodes, you, you're providing me I kept you lot. busy. Yeah. Like I, I don't have time. To, I mean, I'll listen to it in the car and everything. I don't have time to listen to really anything else. Any, um, advice on ways to market it i'm fortunate i've done the majority of this show organically in growing it and trying to find guests that have different groups of people who might be willing to listen to and from march to may we've grown by over a thousand i'm at 3200 right now uh for the month of may which has been very cool to see that grow mm-hmm. um and i surprised how quickly it's happened but any advice for how i can maximize this year 2018 and really trying to grow this podcast yeah with um so with your kind of personal brand that you're you're doing um you're doing a lot of things right which is which is nice so you're laying a good foundation um but a lot of times whatever the best advice i like to give to content builders is keep doing what you're doing but also cross-pollinate so also try to get on other people's podcasts also try to interact with other people's stuff because to be quite honest, when, you know, with this day in social media and everything where everybody's trying to like push their own content and it's like me, 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 um, everybody thinks that their own thing is the most important thing. Yeah. So if that's the case, go to where your audience is and say, hey, I really like what you're doing. Hey, how do I participate in what you're doing? That kind of thing. Oh, by the way, I have this thing going on. So it's not the fact that you have a, um, uh, a, a, you know, like your own um, personal gain to, to grow from it, but it's actually, you know, you can learn a little bit more from it. You can get some more experiences. You do get your own exposure from it, but you also have to interact with other people. Um, I know that you do that. Uh, of course. And always look for more opportunities to exactly. where you can. Yeah. Um, but kind of figuring out who your target audience is and who you want to do. And then what other ways can you get in front of those people and, and kind of cross pollinate? Because I'm sure your listenership uh, a big majority of them are people that um, have known people or, or even have been on this show themselves. So the more show you do, the bigger it grows and everything. Um, but if you get on somebody else's show and maybe you can attract a couple people here, a couple people there, 
really you're on the, the snowball effect right now. You're pushing it up and up and up, and then eventually it's just going to roll down, and you just got to keep up and keep being diligent. So you're doing a lot of the right things, but cross-pollination is one of the things that you got to keep on reminding yourself of capturing other people's audience. Try to find it every other month, a reason exactly. to get onto somebody else's show, do it. Spread them out and make sure that they're timed well. and Yeah, and share your reason. audience with other people. Yeah. Um, which is kind of scary for content builders. Like, oh, I don't want my to lose If they my go audience. there, then they'll, they, why do they still come to me? Yeah, but at the same time, if, if you say, hey, you should also check them out too and everything. I mean, you, you, have, you have a voice and you're, you're reaching, what, 2,700 people right now? 32. 3,200. Um, so you get, you know, you're really growing, but you have a voice and you can actually say, hey, listen, check this stuff out and support other people. Um, because if you do that and you just act in kind, it's just going to come back around for you. Flow of generosity, as our friend Alex Coyne said back in episode 30, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. We've got one final segment. It's the music piece of the show. As you know, I'm finding more and more artists to listen to. In the class of 2013, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame inducted Albert King, Donna Summer, Hart, Public Enemy, Randy Newman, and Rush. Oh, gotta be Rush. Rush? Yeah. I'm, I am admittedly terrible with music. Um, I can't remember song titles, can't remember names and everything, <laughs> but Rush is one of those iconic bands with a unique sound that... Um, that if you just kind of sit down and listen to, which I, I, like I said, I'm not good with music, but I've yeah. actually sat down and I listened to done a lot music. of their stuff. Nice. Yeah. It's, it's one of those ones that, that you definitely have to give it a listen. I just read uh, ready player one and they play a role in that because mm -hmm. it's a lot of eighties nostalgia. So this will be fun to add them to the repertoire and another excuse to listen to some Canadian rock. Mm -hmm. Um, Jeff, we're at the one hour mark. What do you say, kid? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, that, that kind of covers everything. I love it, man. Yeah. Uh, congrats on, uh, by the time this airs, having a two-month-old. Yep. And um, all the continued success to you and Ethic Advertising. If people want to find you out there, what's the best way to do it? Yeah, uh, they can go on our website at ethic-ads.com. Or, um, and honestly, they can give me a call too. Uh, office, direct office lines 412 224 2100. Um, and I guess if, if someone does want to talk to, to me off of this um, about anything, about brand building, about advertising, any of that kind of stuff, I actually always reserve about 30 minutes to 60 minutes every week to talk with anybody about what they have going on. So even though we specialize in, in people with, you know, like, six to seven figure advertising budgets and corporations and stuff like that um if there's a comedian out there that says hey what you know how you know how do i get out there and more exposure organically that kind of thing um we're pretty well versed at that kind of stuff too so it doesn't matter if you're looking to build your personal brand you're thinking about building a business you own multi-million dollar company anything in between um you know give me a call i will personally sit down and talk with you that's a very generous offer and i if anybody would like to uh, to reach out, let us know if you need contact. We'll have it in the episode information out there. But, uh, Jeff, thank you again for coming out, man. I think a lot of the stuff that you're doing is very cool and is, as my grandfather would say, very neat. Yeah, I uh, appreciate it. You 
have been listening to Unplanned Comedy Pods, a podcast collection.